Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Kind of have to love that picture, don't you? You can sense the confidence of that little boy. Putting on all of the gear, running off the end of the dock, no fear at all, just jumping right into the water, right? That's a life without fear. I'm going to take you back a little bit. And first, my first question this morning is, how many of you ever served as lifeguards? You can raise your hand if you've ever lifeguarded. We've got a few lifeguards in here, okay. Yeah, I did that for a few summers too. Thought it would be the greatest job ever, right? You get paid for sitting out in the sun and getting a tan. But here's the part that they forgot to tell me about the lifeguarding, that you also get to teach swimming lessons. You get to be a swim instructor. And I think you can imagine, because some of you can remember back to being in those swimming lessons if you never taught them, there was a wide variety of approaches to swimming lessons. The petrified student that didn't want to leave the edge of the pool to the person that would jump in when nobody was looking and danger was everywhere, right? But do you remember the first day you had to jump off the diving board? I will tell you one thing as a swim teacher, this is when you got really, really good at treading water. Because you did have the students that would fly off the end of the diving board and you had to kind of watch out because they would jump way far further than you thought they were going to. And then you had the students that would get out to the edge and look down and look up and look over at their parents and look back down and it took forever for them to jump into the water. But here's what I noticed happened. Through the course of the swimming lessons, as they began to trust me as the teacher more, as I built a rapport with the students, they were more ready to jump into the water. Why? Because they knew that I was there to catch them. Isn't that a great metaphor for our Christian lives? Aren't there fears that, that keep us trembling at the edge of the diving board, wondering if we're ever going to make it? But when we remember who's there to catch us, who's there to be present in our lives always, it changes everything, doesn't it? That's why Jesus asks the question of the disciples that he does when they're in the boat on the Sea of Galilee during the storm. The question that we will use today for the theme for our first sermon in this series, why are we afraid? That was Jesus' question. Why are you so afraid? And if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of have to admit that we think a little bit like the disciples. We wonder if maybe Jesus is asleep. Does he really know what's going on in our lives? But then Jesus answers those fears as he reminds us that he's the one who saves. And that's what we'll look at today. Instead of seeing Jesus asleep, let's see him as the Savior, the one who has the power to save. Matthew was on that boat as one of Jesus' disciples. So listen again to his report of how it all came about in the first couple verses here of Matthew 8, verses 23 to 24. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. This event, also recorded in Mark's gospel, happens fairly early in Jesus' ministry, but not so early that the disciples had not already been witnesses of quite a few miracles of Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you would go back this week and read all of Matthew chapter 8, what you would see is that the chapter starts with Jesus healing a person with leprosy. And then he heals the centurion's servant. Then he heals Peter's mother-in-law and all kinds of other people who came to him. It's on the heels of all of that, all of these blessings that the disciples got to watch Jesus distribute to other people that he's on this boat with them in a storm. 
As he often did, Jesus needed some time away, and so he gets in this boat with the disciples to sail to the other side of the lake, Sea of Galilee. And if you know anything about the geography of the Sea of Galilee, and even if you don't, it was very prone to sudden storms. The way the, the, the sea laid below sea level and the cool air would rush in from the surrounding hills, that warm air coming off the lake and that cool air would collide and quick storms would pop up. Now here's what's interesting. You have disciples in that boat who were experienced fishermen. This cannot be the first storm that they ever were in while they were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. But this one was a little different. As a matter of fact, when, when Matthew chooses the term that he does for the storm, he goes past a couple of other Greek words that normally are used to describe storms. And instead, he uses this word to describe the storm, seismos. Yes, it can mean a squall or a furious storm, but I think you know how we use that term still today. Seismology, that's all about earthquakes, isn't it? It's all about disruption of earth. That's the way Matthew describes the storm. He chooses a word to say, this was not just any storm. Our English translation tries to capture it by saying it was a furious storm. Waves are crashing over the boat. The disciples think, we're in trouble. They're in peril. They, they wonder if they're even going to survive. Can we relate? We can, can't we? We know what storms are like, and not just physical storms. We know what the seismos are in our own lives, those, those storms that rock us, that, that make us wonder if God is really paying attention. I had an experience this last week that I'm, I'm guessing that many of you can relate to. I'm not even sure where I was going, but I was driving. By the way, that's not me on the picture. I know it looks a little bit like me, but I was driving this week, and that was about a 25-minute trip that I was undertaking. It was about little bit of ways from my destination, I stopped and I thought, I have no recollection of the last 20 minutes. I don't know if I used my turn signals. I don't know if I cut somebody off. I'm not sure how I got to point A or point B. I was completely on autopilot. And all of a sudden, I felt a little scared. So I'm like, how can my brain allow me to drive without getting into an accident when I can't even remember what I was doing? And I realized I was in a metal box with four wheels going 70 miles an hour without thinking about what I was doing. I got a little scared. Maybe you can relate to that. But it's not just driving that causes us fears. Think about all of the things that we have reason to be fearful of if we think too much about them. You can think about inflation. You can think about unrest in our own country and around the world. We can think about the climate. We can think about financial difficulties, we can think about disease, we can think about cancer, all of these things can make our hearts extremely afraid. And so we need to see Jesus with his disciples to once again remember how Jesus handles the storms of our lives. Listen to how Matthew reports it. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. You heard it in the first couple of verses, and now you see the disciples waking Jesus up. But isn't it kind of amazing that Jesus is asleep? Max Lucado says it this way in his book, while the storm roared, Jesus snored. It's 
hard to believe, isn't it, that you can sleep through something like what the disciples were going through? And if we read Mark's gospel, we get the idea that this wasn't just Jesus having trouble keeping his eyes open, just kind of drifting off. He's in a slumber. Mark tells us that he went to the stern and was laying on a pillow. So in the middle of the storm, here's Jesus acting as if nothing is happening at all. And the disciples come and wake him up. And when they wake him up, they speak three words in the original language. Trying to bring it out in an English translation is a little difficult, but it would go something like this. Lord, save, dying. Those are the three words they got out as they were talking to Jesus. And you might remember that Mark's gospel goes one step further. The disciples actually asked Jesus this. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to drown? And I think about the disciples on that boat and I think about my own life and ask you to think about yours too. And we can relate to at least two parts of this, can't we? We know what storms feel like. We know what that fear feels like, that, that maybe we aren't going to be able to make it through the thing that we're facing this time. But then we also know the other side of that, don't we? The wondering, is Jesus asleep? Does he really know what's happening in my life? Does he really know how bad it's gotten? How come he won't react to what's going on? That's the accusation that the disciples brought to Jesus. And again, we can relate to that. Don't you care, Jesus? Don't you care about us? When we see the crazy things that go on in this world and we think it's not going to be easy to be a Christian if this, this continues, we can get afraid very fast. That's why it's great to hear Jesus' question to his disciples because it's a question for you. It's a question for me this morning. Why are you so afraid? We know what fear does, right? Fear corrodes our confidence in the goodness of God. It makes us wonder if Jesus is asleep, if, if God knows what's going on. And really what it all comes down to is this. Fear is ultimately a lack of control over our lives, isn't it? You know what happens when we feel kind of out of control? We, we grab onto anything that will give us some sort of stability. And maybe those aren't always the greatest things that we grab onto. But that's what fear does. Fear makes us feel cornered. I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity, maybe you don't want to, to have some sort of critter trapped in your house or in your garage. And you go to try and get it out, and you get it pushed into a corner, and the first thing that critter tries to do is hide from you, right? Try to escape any way he can. He is afraid of you. But when you get him cornered, when there's nothing else that they can do, you know what's next, right? They will attack. They will do whatever they can to protect themselves. And sometimes fear does the same thing to us. When we feel cornered, when we feel trapped, when we feel like we can't find a way through fear, isn't it then that we speak unkind words? When we get angry, we lash out at other people? Because that's what fear will do. How wonderful for us to see how Jesus handled the disciples' fear in this miracle. He simply spoke the words. And everything that moments before had been a furious squall, a seismus, was reduced to nothing. No more wind, no more waves, complete calm. That's the same Jesus who is in your life and mine. 
Here's how Matthew reports the aftermath. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Really, there was no other conclusion for the disciples to draw. The person in the boat with them, the one who had been sleeping minutes before, simply got up, spoke the word, and the waves were put back in their place. The wind simply stopped. It makes us wonder, doesn't it, that, that fear gives us a little bit of amnesia. The disciples should have remembered all of the healings they just got to see from Jesus, all of the miracles that he had done. How could they miss the fact that the Son of God was sitting in the boat with them and they really had nothing to fear? We shouldn't be so critical of the disciples, should we? Because that's the same Savior who's our Savior. It's the same Savior who gave up his life for us. It's the same Savior that we can put our trust in every single day, the one who has the power to save, and yet somehow that same amnesia visits us, doesn't it? We forget about the blessings that God has brought us through in the past, and we worry and fret over everything. Is it possible that safety has become, at least in part, a God to us? That if only we could feel safe and secure in this life, then, then everything would be great. And here's the thought. That idea that, that safety is the most important thing in our lives, really, it kind of holds us back. It keeps us from fully loving others because loving other people is risky. You might get hurt. Somebody might take advantage of you. And so we hold back because we don't want to take those risks. Or, or think about how that love of safety can keep us from being generous. Because after all, whatever I give to other people, whatever time or, or money I invest in other people, well, well, doesn't that lessen what I have? Doesn't that take away from my own personal safety? That's why Jesus says to us, don't be afraid. Did you know that over 20 times in the four Gospels, Jesus said those words or something similar to them, do not be afraid? That's Jesus' solution to our fear. Don't. I know it sounds so easy, but he gives us reason, doesn't he? And maybe we should stop for just a minute and talk about fear because there is some truth to the fact that some fear is healthy. If you're out in the woods and a bear comes running at you, it's probably very natural to be afraid. It's natural to be afraid of a blazing fire. We should be a little afraid of running out into a busy street or throwing ourselves into danger, right? But here's the problem with us as human beings. There's such a fine line between fear that is healthy and fear that is a complete lack of trust in God that it's hard to manage where this fear so easily leads to our sins. Because what fear does is it takes our eyes off the Savior and puts them squarely on our problems. That's why Jesus says to us, do not fear. The promise that he made to Joshua as Joshua was ready to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. That's something that God says to you and me too. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Those are your Savior's promises to you. He says to you, I'm standing by your side. I already took on your sins, took them to the cross, paid for them in full. The same Jesus we celebrated last week who rose from the dead, that victory is yours today too and tomorrow and the next day and for your whole life. That's the God who stays with you. It's why Jesus can say to us, why are you afraid? You have me. 
a savior. And that's what puts our fears to rest. One of those 20 sometimes that, that Jesus told people not to be afraid is found in Luke chapter 12. This verse, Jesus says this, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Isn't that an amazing verse? First of all, that Jesus calls us his little flock, the good shepherd who watches over us. And then that he reminds us of what we have to come. Our father has been pleased to give us the kingdom, an eternal life with him through the sacrifice that Jesus made. A couple of takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, when the storms of life come, we turn to Jesus. Jesus himself said this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Number two, Jesus demonstrated his power over all things. We can trust him. It's why Paul could write these words to Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Finally, number three, the one who calmed the sea promises to calm our storms and guide us to heaven. To the Philippians, Paul wrote this, God, the one who began a good work in you, the good work of faith, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. We're one week post-Easter. You might remember that, that Jesus on Easter Sunday evening made a visit to his disciples in the locked upper room and you probably remember that one of the disciples was missing that night, the disciple by the name of Thomas. And so Thomas denied the fact that Jesus could possibly be alive even though all the other disciples were telling him. He even made statements like these, unless I see the nail marks and get to put my hands in Jesus' nail marks, I'll, I'll never believe. Well, one week later, there was Jesus back in the upper room with the disciples, and this time Thomas was there. Jesus goes right to Thomas, lets him put his fingers in his hands. Stop doubting and believe, Jesus says. He's calming the storm in the heart of Thomas. That's the Jesus who still calms storms today. You see, pessimism can't fill us with hope. Fretting doesn't put a spring in our step. Our phobias don't do us any good. But Jesus is in control. And he's watching over you and me. And that same Jesus invites you today to look at his hands, to see the nail marks there, to remember the sacrifice he made for you and the joy that you have in knowing that Jesus has risen from the dead. When we find ourselves standing at the end of that diving board and the fears of life overwhelming, don't forget the one who saves the one who's there to catch us every single time, and the one who's waiting to guide us home to heaven. That's Jesus. Why are we afraid? We have the power of the one who saves. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.